Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. When we hear about two churches merging to become one, we tend to think it's a result of something negative. Perhaps one or both of them is dying and a merge results to keep them alive. Or maybe a church has lost one of its pastors for some reason, so they merge with another local church to avoid a lack of healthy leadership. At times, churches do merge for these types of reasons. But how many church mergers have you heard about that come together for the sake of the lost? Namely, churches that merge in order to plant more churches. That's what happened with two local churches in South Detroit. So to talk with us about how a church merger can advance the cause of the gospel through church planting, I'm excited to have my friend and fellow pastor, David Doran, with me today on the podcast. David is the lead pastor of Resurrection Church in Lincoln Park, Michigan. He is married to Abigail, and they have four children. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. David has got a really, really good look. He's up there in Detroit. He's got a bald head. He's got a robust beard. He's got a flannel shirt on. Um, you got the uh, the whole church planter starter kit, right? Exactly. I've got I've got what I need as far as uh, the look. <laughs> and I I it was a coming. It was a it was a crisis moment when I met some of the guys in Acts twenty nine and. And they looked like this, and I thought, have I ever made an independent choice in my life? I didn't know. I was just a product of my environment. It's sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the good news about Acts 29 now, that is the stereotype of all of us, right? That we, uh, you know, we're all tatted up. We got flannels on. But when you go to the global gathering, it's no longer the case. We've got we got brothers uh, in Europe, like Philip Moore, who is is very dapper. You know, uh, his his pants are thin. Uh, we've got guys in suits from uh, uh, other parts of the world. We we've got a lot of uh, diversity, not just in um, geography, but now style as well, which was much needed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm honestly I'm pumped about that because. I mean, the flannel is more uh, about covering a little bit of extra fat than it is about style for me. So <laughs> I, I like the the fall in Michigan. It was 23 degrees this morning, and I was down with that because a guy like me looks a lot better in fall clothing. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, so I would agree with I'm that. Down with it. Um, yeah, and the, uh, the yeah, it's just warm, man. It's just it's a flannel to me is just. I mean, I don't think Steve Timmons would ever wear flannel. Mm. He he has to have you know really high end threads. But, you know, the flannel is just like a blanket. It's Nor, nor could he. <laughs> now, uh, I'm going to interview later uh, your running mate, Tyler, who is, yes. is also part of this, uh, this growing diversity. And uh, Tyler's yeah. got his own swag, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And you know what is cool? The diversity of, of even Michigan in Acts 29, a bunch of us lead pastors, Tyler and I have grown up in the same area, but different settings and we're both going to be going up to the UP in Michigan, which is like as rural as it gets. And I, I hope we're going to be able to get Tyler on a turkey hunt in May. So you think about the diversity of taking oh two Detroit boys up to the UP. And I like the turkey hunt, but his part of Detroit's not known as turkey hunters. And so we're going to go up there and uh, hopefully get him with a shotgun and have a little fun. But he's I think he's scared of, of doing that with us. So I'll, I'll have to ask him about that. I, I wonder if he's nervous. I think he's going to deny it. He says he says he'll go to the UP. I don't think he wants the turkey hunt, but we're going to get him. So work on him. It's a it's it's a commitment to humility and diversity. Tell him. 
All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, for those who don't know, the UP is the is it the rabbit jumping over the mitten? Yeah. So Michigan is two peninsulas. Actually, we have more coastline uh, than most of the states in in the country. More freshwater coastline than anybody. But uh, it's two peninsulas. The bottom one has most of the population. I'd say probably ninety some percent of the population. And then the UP is uh, a pretty significant geographical area with a low population. It's actually right from where my wife is from up there in in the middle of nowhere. So. Yeah, it's a great mm-hmm. place. And I know these things. I know these things not because I was a great student, but because I was born in the great state of Michigan in yes. uh, your neck of the woods, man, downriver uh, in the Detroit yeah. area. That's the best place. Midwest is best, man. Hey, let's let's talk about uh, your ministry there in Detroit. How, how did you? First of all, how did you come to faith? How did you uh, get married? How did your wife say yes to you? How did you have all oh. those kids? Talk to us about that. Okay, so there's a couple miracles there. I'll start with conversion because <laughs> uh, we I was raised in a really, really faithful home. And uh, my dad's a pastor. He's actually just finished his 30th year as a uh, lead pastor. And uh, my family, my mom and dad were just diligent in teaching us about Christ and about the Word of God. And really, I grew up in an atmosphere where the Word of God was uh, present and open. And then when I was about eight years old, we would listen to these little tapes at, at nighttime when we go to bed and uh, there were these characters and I remember the Holy Spirit using just I think such a profound example of how God uses crooked st- sticks to r- draw straight lines you know like it was a it, kind of a goofy tape but it was awesome where this this patch the pirate was his name he was leading one of his little characters to the Lord sharing him the gospel and I'm just a little boy listening and he walks through the gospel and then leads this character through the sinner's prayer And I remember profoundly, it was like the first time I had heard the gospel, even though I know I'd heard the gospel many times growing up. And so I I got up out of bed and I reached up and rewound the cassette tape player and listened to the gospel again. And then actually knelt down and went through the sinner's prayer with the characters on the tape. And then got into bed. My brother and I shared a double bed. We weren't, we had a bunch of kids in the family, but you know, so whatever. And I actually, it was crazy how the spirit worked. My brother listened to me and actually accepted Christ that night as well. And he's an elder in a church plant in Seattle. And I am an elder here in Detroit. And and both of us look back and there was a lot of growth, you know, highs and lows of sanctification. But both of us look back and really believe that's the night, like there was a little revival in our upstairs room by the Spirit's work through this audio tape and obviously setting a flame to the kindling our parents had been layering in our lives. So it was pretty cool. And then I grew up in this, you really just a tremendous amount of God's grace. I had a, a healthy church and uh, a family that was to the, you know, all believers essentially. And I, it's so wild to say that. I don't mean just immediate family, but my great grandmother on both sides I knew and everyone below her was professing Christians. And uh, up until recently, there's been some struggles in a couple of my cousin's lives. But the 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 reality was that the atmosphere I grew up in was like 55 different close family members that were believers in our church. And so I was just incubated in grace. And uh, it was tremendous. So it was also really a big part of later on why we wanted to plant, because I had seen how beautiful uh, God's work in layering someone in believing family could be. And I didn't think that believing family just had to be blood. 
but anyway, I went away to, to get trained for, um, for ministry, went to college at a little school in the middle of nowhere called Northland up in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. And I met my wife whose family was the opposite of mine. Her mom is the only believer in her family. Uh, and she, she and her mom, and, uh, we, you know, it took a lot of hustle, more work than, than planting the church to convince my wife to marry me. Okay. So <laughs> it was, it was, uh, and it's every day been more of a blessing. She is a baller. My wife, Abby is, uh, I just saw her before I drove over here and, um, yeah, she's great. So we, we went through that tango of, you know, an ugly guy like me trying to sell this beautiful girl who, you know, on, on that our life wouldn't have to be a train wreck together. And then she gives in and then we go to seminary together. You know, she's, and, and got by God's grace, we have had a family with four kids. My daughter's going to be six in a couple of weeks, but two, the two middle sons, one turns four and one turns two on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then the other, the youngest son is uh, three months, like two days ago. So it's a blast with the little troop and uh, God's just been kind to bring us up to this point. But what I was, I was serving in ministry, if you want to go to this direction, we were in, um, in church I grew up in and I was on pastoral staff and I was, I was uh, really at a point where I was looking at the church I'd been raised in and not realizing or starting to realize how much I'd been incubated in just relationships of God's kindness, putting me around believer after believer after believer. But also because of some of the desires I had, I'd been looking around the world at opportunities for church planting. Like I had visited Morocco, I had visited the West Coast. And and I started to, to realize that I thought of and talked about the mission as somewhere else. Like I was sitting in Tangier, Morocco, and... Um, and we were, the biggest mosque in Tangier was about to let out, right? And the call to prayer was going to be done. And I was expecting to just see this burden wash over me and these neon signs above everyone's head that says, like, help me, I'm lost, you know? And instead what happened is they walked out and it looked like the mall in our area because where we're from in Dearborn is one of the highest populations of, of Arabic peoples outside of the Middle East. And, and what struck me is the Holy Spirit just was like, you may end up in a place like this, but you are not about reaching the lost that are right in front of you, you know? And, and so then I kind of thought, oh, I got to go think closer to home. So I went out to California and I worked for a little while in a mission in South Central LA. And I essentially came away with the same conviction that I realized that the Spirit was, I think, bringing, bringing me along. You've these streets have the same needs as Detroit streets. You just are new to these streets. You need to, when you go back for seminary, be about training uh, or be about reaching people that are right in front of you. Not just think of the mission as when I get trained, I'll go somewhere else. So we moved home and it was like I saw my home community with new eyes. And slowly over time, uh, God just was opening doors because we started treating our my home neighborhood like a mission field where I was in the addiction recovery center and I was coaching in the public school. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, there's like the kindling for a church plant that was almost created by just opening my eyes to the fact that I've been living here forever and then being intentional with the relationships that were there. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where how we got to, to Lincoln Park. My mom graduated from Lincoln Park High School. My grandma still lives here. And it took, it took actually deer season 
is coming or is on right now, but, but gun starts next week. And we were, it was like a couple years ago, we're driving up North. My uncle is from Lincoln park and he looks at me and I hope this is okay way to say it, but he's just a blue collar dude, like a lot of Lincoln park. And he looked at me and said, you keep thinking about going other places. And he's a believer. And he's like, there are white trash people like us all over Lincoln park that need the gospel. When are you going to wake up and just embrace the fact that we're white trash and God made you white trash to reach white trash people or whatever, you know? So, and I, his missiology and we didn't have any of that debate. He, we were just about to get into a tree stand, but it was amazing how God used that to be like, oh, we could plant a church like right where we grew up. And then the dominoes just started to fall in line where the leadership in our church was like, yes. And, and the open doors with unbelievers were like, yes. And it was just amazing to see, but it was right in front of me. It just took, I was had a thick head, you know? Yeah, man. So much there. Um, it's so much brokenness in uh, the Detroit area. You've mm-hmm. you've alluded to. I'm I'm certainly glad you're there. Yeah, Tyler and other brothers who are are laboring uh, in that part of the world. Uh, your dad's been in ministry he said like 30 years. I probably mm-hmm. should have him on the podcast, huh? Oh yeah, he's a lot wiser, and yeah, he, he would be worth it. Yeah. Hey, talk about so you 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 guys have merged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we've had a merger conversation on the podcast. Mm. Um, so talk to us about how how this developed. Um, you know, from from the day you started this church and then now leading up to the merger, it's a pretty remarkable story. So yeah. I just want you to share it with the listeners. Yeah. So um, I think that really it was it was the the desires of our church were being put in front of the Lord in prayer. And what I mean by this is uh, we came to Lincoln Park with the desire to m- make in- disciples in Lincoln Park, raise them up, and see an indigenous replicating mission of, of a local church that's got people from the soil who are now leading the mission here. But one of the realities when you have communities who face such uh, decay and challenges and whatever is that, that that's a slow process. It, um, and, and we were running into real questions about the sustainability of our mission. I, there's a lot of guys that probably listen who have taken more of a grassroots organic approach to planting and there's other guys who probably had like a larger core team. I think there's there's strengths in both now that I've been through it. We were definitely a small kind of missional core team. But one, at some point, you hit these challenges where you go, the rate of sanctification in the people we're reaching is not like, it's not like they're, they're saved and then next year they're pastors in the local church. And, and not even sometimes if you go through life of, of addiction and struggle, it's not like they're, they're re- saved and then all of a sudden they're just pulling the kind of weight your core team did. And we were going, oh, wow, is the mission sustainable this way? 10 of the 45 members we had were seminary students who within a couple of years of finishing their degree, like once their degree was done, we're going to, we're planning. And from the beginning, it said, we're going to leave, you know, they were going somewhere and they were training for a purpose. And it was awesome to have them. I'd never complain about that, but I was going, oh, wow, a quarter of the membership total, but you also know a heavily invested group is planning to leave. And then financially, we were in a position where the people we're re- reaching are not bringing up the ground of the church planting support. And so I just, I had looked into bivocational options. I had prayed about all this stuff. I had done um, some interviews with some firefighters in our community because my grandfather was a firefighter in this area. And they're kind of like classic moonlighters, you know, work for 24, then you're off for 24. And you can do other jobs while you firefight. And 
Um, so I had been doing some of that investigation, but God used this conversation with some other church planners in Salt Lake City where these guys just said, hey man, don't let go of the opportunity to shepherd with your with your work time easily. We really think that that if you love it and like bivocational can be strategic, but don't let go of it lightly. This is a huge gift. And so it was really good for me to hear that. And I started to pray and it was a simple prayer, like essentially just, I love to be a pastor. I love this gift of a job. It's such a, like, I know there can be challenges and people talk about how hard it is, but I just think, man, I can't get enough of the fact that I get to study the Bible and, and point people to Christ with my work time. Like, it's just such a freaking gift. And so I started to ask the Lord, would you be merciful? I will take up whatever path we need to, but would you be merciful to help us stay on this mission here and allow me to do this as a full-time job? And I'm telling you, I only prayed about that for like a couple weeks. And it was, there was times I boxed out to talk about it. But it wasn't like, it was just like, I just kept putting it in front of the Lord, but nothing profound or mystical. And then the brother of one of the firefighters is a pastor in our community. And he says, I heard from my brother, basically, that that you are trying to figure out a way to stay and stay on the mission here. And I am going to do a PhD at Southeastern. Nobody really knows this yet, but I have a crazy idea. We should we should see these churches merged and you should lead the churches on the same mission together. And I was like, you're insane. You know, like I knew what I'd been praying, but I didn't tell people about it. My wife knew. And and I just thought, wow, this is this is psycho that this guy, out of, we saw each other once every year. We're in the same city, but you know, we're just hustling, whatever. We're good friends. We text, but just we didn't sit down like that. And he comes and says, this is what I think should happen. And I said, you're crazy. Come back to me in two months if you're for real. Because, I, you know, that's a cool thought, but that's going to be a lot of work. So he comes back in two months. And then lo and behold, the the process just began to pick up steam where it was so clear that God was was orchestrating it together. Um, do you want me to get into that some of the stuff now? But that's kind of how it percolated was just on our knees saying, Lord, um, we want to see the mission go forward. There are these obstacles that we know you can handle, but I don't see how yet. And then he pulled something that I would have never thought of out of a hat and said, oh, here, here it is. So enough so that now less than a year later, I'm standing in the building of that church doing this interview. You know what I mean? Like, it's just wild. It's just wild. Um, but yeah, it's been great. It's been, God's been super kind. So I'm taking notes here. It's prayer. It's um, yeah. Uh, yeah. perseverance. Um, it's partnership. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure to give you a fourth P, yeah. uh, that peacemaking and uh, bridge building yeah. ha- has been a huge part, right? Of yeah. how, how does this church now respond to your leadership? And yeah. not everybody could do this. And so I think it's a, a testimony to the way you lead to be able to mm. to pull this off. What what was the church's reaction uh, and, and how has it been uh, since, because the larger church, right? The more resort, the more resource churches come under your, I guess, name, name of the church as well, right? And then your leadership. Yeah. What's that been like? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's been wild, man. I mean, think I just to, to, I'll start by saying where we're at now and then go back. Like the, the more established church, a church that was triple our size and more had, had actual resources. They, in the end, we, we agreed to all this. So we, we, we worked together on this and they dissolved 
and donated their assets to our church plant and joined individually. So that, which was like the best case scenario for us to be taking up the mission together in the future was that everybody had buy-in, right? Everybody had this moment where it wasn't like you just got slapped together and you could say, well, this, this wasn't what I wanted, but it just happened. It was this moment where at cor corporately people voted on it, but then also everybody's been welcomed in under the Constitution Statement of Faith covenant that we have currently embracing the direction and mission of our church. I mean, the way we got there, it was just, again, it was prayer. Like it started out with me saying, and I don't know, I, I honestly, I, I, I just wanted the church. I thought if they can, if they can be healthy and we can be healthy and we can keep going, that's still a win. Like we don't need necessarily to do this. And I think that if anybody looks at merges, a lot of times what happens is it's like, um, somebody's got their back against the wall. And one of the biggest things I wanted to do was remove the wall for both churches. So I said, Hey, I will, I will voluntarily serve on a search committee to help you find a pastor. That was like the first conversation we had. We don't need to do this. You can find a pastor. We can do it, you know, cause uh, no offense to like Southeastern or Southern or whatever. It's a Southern Baptist church, but they were worried about like the way I look is less X 29 and more just blue collar here. But they were worried about a bow tie guy coming up because they saw some resume and just being like a bunch of downriver rats now have this bow tie pastor. Nothing against bow ties, y'all, but just like that. They were worried about what, what are we going to do? Are we going to call some guy from from Southern who has pleats in his pants and whatever? Anyway, so it, it, it's it, it's uh it's a problem. They were concerned. And I think at first there was a little fear. And I was just trying to diffuse that fear because that's when we stopped trusting you know, like we, we conflict and quarrels come from unfulfilled desires like James four, right. Or think, think we don't have unfulfilled desires. So I was just trying to say, we've got this, we're good. And then we started to walk through if, if this other option was right. And that really goes on clarity. You have to work for clarity. You can't assume things. You can't, um, you can't stop from asking tough questions. You can't describe things in generalities. I mean, I was I was talking with Greg Gilbert. You might know who that is, and he and I were talking about this before because they almost did a merge, and um, they got through all their foundational documents. They got through a ton of this stuff, and then they came up to the edge, and they're talking with four of the five leaders in the church, the other church that wants to merge, and they were talking about what should they require for membership. And it comes to light after they've done all this work that that four of the five men from the other church didn't believe you needed to to believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ to be join the church. And he was like, oh, okay, you know, like we're done, you know, but that's the kind of thing where it is not enough in our American context for you just to be like, yeah, they have the Baptist faith and message and we're Baptists and blah, blah, blah. We had to really talk and we had to really think through those things. And that was one of the most profound moments was I wrote this long email that said to the search or the, the transition team, hey, let me explain the difference between a senior pastor and associate pastors and a plurality of elders. Let me explain a difference between a deacon board and then role specific deacons. Let me explain a difference between, uh, for instance, the fact that all the committees are going to go away and there'll be a committee of pastors, essentially, right? Like that the 24 committees in your constitution are going to be disappearing and what that would look like, right? And it was this long email that explained all that. 
And it was the moment that I thought the thing was done. I, I was going to the meeting and I thought, there's no way we're getting through this. And that's okay. We'll keep going forward. And then one of the leaders who I just had breakfast with this morning, he's hopefully going to be called as an elder soon. He looked at me with the other guys and he said, well, we now realize that this would be harder than a pastor search. And, but we think God brought this into our life for a reason. And we don't want to be inwardly focused and we need to move forward with the mission. We think we need to pursue this. And I just like, I, my jaw almost hit the floor. Like I was like, wow, the Holy Spirit is actually working this out. Cause that church is 75 years old at that point. And we're like not, we're at four years old. There's a woman in the church who, who joined the church, now our church, but she joined and then joined again, right? At 1948, she joined. And she sends me a message at one of the low points where I'm discouraged, like, oh, it's not going to work. And she says, I want you to know I'm excited about what God's doing in this, this phase of the life of our church. She joined in 1948 and she was excited about this. That's when I was like, okay, the Holy Spirit is doing this and only him, right? And so if you think of a map like trust, clarity, agreement, follow through, those are the necessary steps. I think the trust was built by their pastor throwing all his weight behind this because they trust his faithful shepherding over the last several years. And then probably trust was helped by me being willing to volunteer. But then the clarity was just a million conversations with different people in the congregation. And then we went through this phase where we tried to actually help people see and then decide. And so we did preview services. And so we had six different combined services that would get people, because a lot of it's more not knowing, it's seeing it. And like a lot of this is heart bubbles that you're trying to deal with, right? So we were, the 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 preview services or whatever, before anybody voted were, I think, really crucial because by number six, people really starting to go, oh, we can be a family together. Like we we can do this, you know? And then we had to have that agreement date where no matter what your polity is, I think if you're going to bring two churches together, which are the people, right, which are the, the body of believers, I think you've got to have some time where the congregation says we're in or else what you're going to have is leaders come together and people slowly vote with their feet. You know what I mean? You might as well have them stand and vote or whatever, or else they're going to vote with their feet because the, the whole beauty of what we wanted to merge about was this. Like I see not just a bigger gathering for worship. I, see, I was seeing the fact that there were a hundred more neighbors in our community, right? You know what I mean? Like a, like a hundred more people with eight neighbors aside of them and a living, a hundred more living rooms where the Bible can be opened with a baby Christian. Like that's the win. And if we just merge the institutions and there's more assets and whatever, like we didn't win for the mission that Christ has given us. And so then when we saw that, now we're in the process of just kind of follow through, walking it out, living living out the agreement we've had and hopefully patiently trying to prefer one another. But that's, I don't know, that I don't know if that's where what you were asking, but that's kind of how it's materialized, you know? Yeah, I love that, man. The the model you set out there of trust, uh, clarity, those preview services, and then the, the, uh, the agreement uh, from the people. That's a really good plan. Mm. Hey, last question. How do you see this merger helping to accelerate uh, your own church planting efforts? 
So you guys were a smaller church, only four years old. Mm. Um, not sure what you were thinking about in terms of multiplying at that point, but uh, how has uh, merging together now uh, given you perhaps a new vision for for local church planting or uh, ch- other church plants yeah. uh, around the nation or the world? Yeah, well, it's taken, in God's kindness, it's taken us from you know 60% in the red to now being able to actually, you know, we were devoting 10% of our giving to other church plants like X29 churches do anyway, but now we're actually balanced and thinking about a, si- a more sizable 10% that we're devoting. But that's kind of, that's just a change in the number and scale. The vision hasn't changed a ton, but it's it's shortened. If I think, I, I really think in God's kindness, I don't know why, but it's like he snipped out our teenage years as a church and he kind of, he, he closed the gap to where now I look at the congregation that I'm called to shepherd and there are a bunch of godly men who are have been shepherding their families and caring for the spiritual temperature in their homes that weren't there last year. There were some, but they were all younger than me. And now there's like, I could rattle off 10, 15 men who I think are just balling and they're older than me. And those young guys are still here too. And it it just, it created a, a healthier atmosphere for both. I, I found that when we were that small, we were trying to raise up leadership, but also desperate for them to mature faster than they necessarily were ready to. Like I was giving guys opportunities so fast that they not always could handle them. And now I've got these atmospheres where it's it's like, oh, I don't need to call you an elder yet. I can just keep trusting you. No, we didn't call anybody as an elder, but you know that pressure where you're like, I've got to have a plurality, but everybody's 22 and single and like, (laughs) okay, well, let's slow down. And God in his kindness just gave us this atmosphere where they can incubate, but also a platform where I think we can launch them. And so we are looking, I mean, we're not only hoping, you know, to support guys like Tyler and, and some of my buddies that we've been planting together now looking to say, can we, can we turn money outward more aggressively, but also thinking, okay, where where can we siphon off some members and send them out for the mission? That I think in the multiply book that they have a lot of guys read for the assessment, or maybe it's one other article X29 puts out, one of the points they they make clear is to be a good sending church, you have to actually solidify the church you plant, right? We were really in that position, and we're still there because we have to unify as a church, but I can see the horizon on unifying the church we planted. You know what I mean? And now I think we're looking, say, let's go, let's send, let's let's do this. And there's some guys that I hope in the next couple of years are ready. So, Excellent. Excellent, man. David Doran Jr., you are doing some incredible work, brother. Important work. That's kind. And um, one, of the, one of the joys of doing this podcast is to just hear stories from, from guys who are on the field, in the trenches, downriver, uh, all over. And so thank you, brother, for being on the podcast. Downriver, baby. <laughs> If you are doing a church merger, you definitely want to look this brother up and uh, take some notes as to what they're doing. And uh, David, just again, thanks for uh, taking some time to be on the podcast. Thanks for the time, man.